I'm going to try to get this and finish it up on Easter Sunday, really. Isaiah 53, which is what we refer to as the Messianic chapter. Isaiah is referring to Christ, the Messiah. And once again, we've been talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what he's come to do. And I told you last week that that the Holy Spirit is here to help us to, to adjust our focus and our thoughts. And it's all on Christ. It's about Christ. And we're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to agree on the music. You're not going to agree on the style. You're not going to agree on the color of the carpet. None of us agree. But the one thing we must agree on is the deity of Christ and him being Lord in our life. Because he cannot be Lord of your life if you're not a slave to him. And that hurts our feelings. But the word son or servant is called, not some is doulos, but it's a slave to him. I'm a slave to him. And I do only what he asked me to do. So I surrender all rights to him. And as long as you're still alive, then Christ doesn't have full control of your life. So, so we've been talking about this by the ministry of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, I started on this, and I promised you I was going to get back to this. But Isaiah 53, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was appointed, and by his stripes we were healed. I don't want to get off into that because I will before long, but I want to talk about the very first part of this scripture, that he was wounded. What does it mean to be wounded? So some of you that grew up in church, you say, well, he was wounded. That means he was beaten. I understand, but that's not the full term of it. So I think in order for us to really to be more of a mature Christian, and get, we must have the full idea of what's going on here when it says he was wounded. First of all, we talked about medical science says that there are five major categories of a wound. I'm not a doctor. Um, I played golf with one one time, but there are five major categories to a wound. And Jesus will experience all five. And he will experience all five for our benefit. The Bible says, in the King James, it's kind of funny, but he says, we do have a high priest that can feel everything that we are feeling. And the King James said, have we not a high priest who cannot feel the feeling? But in, in good English, we have a high priest, which is King Jesus. And here's the good news. He has felt everything you're feeling right now. There's nothing new that he has not felt. Nothing. Whether it be betrayal, whether it be false accusation, whether it be loneliness, emptiness. He's felt it. He took the sin upon the world upon the cross and he, and he paid and counseled our death for that. So I'm glad to know to tell you this morning that the Holy Spirit of God has taken all of our iniquities and all of our sins and all these things and Christ bared them upon the cross, but he is not ignorant of what you're feeling today. He feels it. And so, so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of get into that today. It's going to be very low impact because some of you got spring break and you want to spring out of here. I understand. But the first one we talked about was called contusion. The first one was a, is a contusion. And by definition, contusion is a bodily injury where the small blood vessels are broken beneath the surface of the skin where there's no blood that's lost outside the body. The English word for contusion is bruised. I refer to these as hidden hurts. I went a long time, about a month ago, dealing with this one. Nobody sees it. 
You wear long sleeves. Nobody notices the injuries that you've occurred. There's no blood running out like a, a leaky radiator. But we know for a fact that these type of bruises comes by the brutal force of fists or rods. And we talked about this. We talked about in Isaiah 52 and 17 that Jesus was so beaten and bruised that his vicious or his face was so marred they didn't recognize he was a man or an animal. And we talked about this. It's possible to be so bruised that you don't even know who you are this morning. I don't know if I want to live or put a gun to my head when this service is over. And if some of you have never experienced that, just hang on. You will. That means you won't even say for about 10 minutes. We all lose identity who we are. And we come to this conclusion as we look in the mirror, this is not what I started out to be. I involved in something that I said I would never become. That's what bruising can do to you. The word bruising means to be beaten beyond recognition. I don't know who I am. And I found out the people that really that try to put on a show are they're really the people that are beating up the worst. You know, it's those, it's those mothers that you go to and these, these kids that say, I'm all right where everything's fine, and you know for a fact they've been beaten at home. So we got to be honest to the fact that this is what the enemy tries to do, is beating us beyond recognition of who we are. I don't know if I'm a good husband, a bad husband, a saved. I don't know who I am because I've, I've been beaten up so much. So anyway, we talked about this. So Jesus was beaten beyond recognition. Matter of fact, can you imagine just being him when the spotlight's not on him? The ability to read people's mind? the hate, the rage, the venom. They tried to kill him three times. I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, some of you quit church because you can't pay your electric bill. I mean, try to, when somebody said, if you come back to church, I'll blow your head off in the parking lot. And I'm sure everybody will show up early for that, yeah. The second one is called laceration. The second wound that he will experience is called laceration. By definition, laceration is the opening of the surface of the skin. Laceration. This is completely different. As a matter of fact, I'm, the word lacer is a, word, is a Latin word. It means to open up, to rip apart, uh, to remove a chunk, to have a gash. And there is a difference, for the medical people will tell you, that there's a difference between laceration and a cut. A cut. A cut is something usually that breaks the surface of the skin, but it's something you either point it or a sharp object that is very precise in what it's doing. So Ron Edge works in the hospital. He was in charge of surgery one time. And it's different when the doctor tells you what we're going to do is that we're going to make a little incision or a cut in you, and then we're going to get that meanness out of you, and we're going to sew you back up, and you'll be perfect the rest of your life. <clears throat> Versus we're going to lay you on the table, and we're going to take a chunk out of you. We're going we're gonna to tear open the fat part of your belly. We're going to find something to, to tear apart the skin surface and go and get what we're after. Laceration has everything to do with a very rough and a very jagged force entry beneath the skin. And it's so deep that it goes down into the tissues. So we're not talking about something that is absolutely like a a scalpel on a surgeon or a sharp pocket knife. We're talking something, an injury that has happened that is so sharp and so brutal and so jagged that when it hits the skin, that it's not a clean cut like a Chinese paper torture treatment. It 
it, it goes in and it starts removing chunks. Matthew 27, 16. So here's where we start. He's asking there in, in Pilate's court. Pilate's wife has already told him, do not accuse this man. I've had a dream. He is the son of God. And this is why Pilate says, I, I'm going to wash my hands of this. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I don't need another divorce. I don't need an uprising. So I wash my hands. Here, I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot wash your hands of anything. Either you're a follower of Christ or you're in opposition with God. Yes. So don't say, oh, I'll wash my hands of this. You know, we can't do that. So now then, Pilate said this, then release Barabbas. Barabbas is a word called Bar-Abbas. Bar is an alien or a foreign, and Abbas is many fathers. And you've heard me say this, but Barabbas was a wonderful name. It was, it was so wonderful because what was going on, he said, because Barabbas, this guy, is a son of all of you. Hate, rage, greed, gossip, all these things, you've slept with his mother. And every one of you in all your sin, he's talking about the Pharisees, every one of you has slept with his mother and she has produced a son and he is a part of you. And that's why they wanted him. Barabbas. Funny, isn't it? So he says this. So he said, he, he released Barabbas unto him and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. So when you see that, when you read this, you read it so fast and not, and it's cursed Jesus. <clears throat> so it's my job to kind of reveal a layer to you and tell you exactly what scourging mean when we get a word for laceration. The word scourging or flogging basically is the right word. So the Romans had a punishment for crimes and one of them was that they were permitted to scourge you, whip you. The Romans could scourge you 40 times, 40 times. And most of all, within the 40 times, it would kill you because it would, it would, it would tear apart jugglers. We're not talking about strapping you somewhere and, and whipping you 40 times with a, with, with a single cord. I'll explain this to you, but 40 times. So the Jews said, well, that's a little harsh, so we'll only make it 39. The Jews said, oh, that's a little harsh punishment. We can't, we can't be like the Romans. We're not that cruel. So what we'll do, we'll just flog you 39 times. So Jesus was flogged 39 strokes. A scourge was a wooden handle that was covered either by leather or a wooden handle. And to this wooden handle was 12 cords of leather or 12 straps of leather. And attached to these 12 cords was either pieces of metal or bone. Tiny. Tiny. And the Jews were allowed to scourge him 39 times. And 39 times 12, there was 468 stripes, gadgets, torn places, tissues exposed in his body. Don't ever just carry this little white anemic picture of Jesus in your house. That's an insult to the Son of God. He was brutally lacerated. 
And you say to me, well, what's the big deal? It's a big deal for you to continue to run in sin and say it's no big deal. How, you know, when you understand the, the brutal force that was used against my Savior, it would make you wake up and say, you know what? He suffered a lot for my salvation. Salvation may be free, but it cost him everything. So for 468 places in his body was lacerated. And what I mean by that, that it was ripped open. It was tore apart. It went way beneath the surface of the skin. We're not talking about a bruising here. We're talking about 468 places in my Lord's body that these things went into him and took out pieces of tissue and flesh, flesh and sinew and whatever is beneath the surface of the skin. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've been cut a couple of times. And somebody come along and say, what happened? Don't touch that. <laughs> I got hurt one time a couple of years ago on a job. And what happened was that it wasn't my fault. Where's Steve? It's his fault. <clears throat> was cutting down some rafters and, and I was down on the ground. And he was up there, of course, and he had the saw, of course, and he was cutting it down, of course. I was down there minding my own business. And a two before fell with a nail in it. And when he came down, I held my hand up and he come right there. It was his hand. Come right and got me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, he just ripped her wide open right there. And it hurt. So immediately, I did what most men do. I just grabbed some duct tape and grabbed my hand and tried to cut the flow of the blood off, and it was ripped open. There was no cutting to it. It ripped it open good, good, good one from about there to there. And so every time I, my hand wanted to close, well, the gap was wide open. It was about that wide. I could see everything I wasn't supposed to see. Now, I'm not like Aaron McCoy and Ron. I don't need to know what's beneath the skin. Them guys, they eat a peanut butter sandwich while they're cutting on people. Not me, I'm, especially my own blood. So I had to get a board and I had to lay it flat and tap my hand, take my hand to it to keep it flat, keep up things. So I called Gas. Hey, I cut myself. He goes, okay, big deal. I got to go. I said, I'm going to go to the doctor. She said, okay, it's fine. And I said, uh, yeah, I got a board taped to it to keep it from. She goes, I'll meet you at the doctor's office. <laughs> and sure enough, I go in the doctor's office and I cut a plank and I got my hand to a plank and it's all taped up. And that doctor said, hey, that's pretty good looking split. <laughs> that was a gash. That was a laceration. That wasn't a cut. And I mean, it opened me wide open. So our Lord was opened up 468 times beneath the surface of the skin. So much that these pieces of bone and pieces of metal went in beneath the surface of the skin and not only cut the skin, but took pieces and chunks out underneath the skin. These type of wounds are clearly visible. They're marks and scars of injuries that pass through the surface of the skin into the inner part of the sensitive tissue. Did you know that words do the very same thing as whips? Whoever said sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never harm you, they didn't have any idea what they was talking about because they didn't read the Bible. Because the Bible said in Proverbs 18, 21, 
Death and life is in the power of the tongue. I had the power in my tongue to heal you and help you, or I had the power to hurt you. There's more murders that's being committed with a tongue than, than a gun or a knife throughout the ages of mankind. Words can hurt. As a matter of fact, words can hurt so bad that when they go in, we're not just talking about bruisings. We're talking about words can be so hurtful. As a matter of fact, the rest of, of 1821 talks about not only that you use them, but it's, it's the fruit of your labors. You enjoy doing it, and it produces fruit in your life. You can't help but being sarcastic and hateful. You've been doing it for so long. That's what it says. You bear the fruit of it. You bear the seeds of it. It's just part of your nature. And you, and you think it's light and you think it's funny to go around and wounding people with your words. Here, here, here's a revelation. It's not. Wounds hurt. Words hurt. Words can make wounds. And we know for a fact that, especially the first church and, and even missionaries, we know for a fact that people have been physically wounded and physically whipped and physically executed for upholding the name of Jesus Christ. I personally have not had that happen yet. I'm not telling you not coming because it probably is coming. But I will tell you within the church, there's, there's more wounding going on in the church right now with wounds. And not only, it's not, it's not on the surface. I mean, it's not like it just runs off the duck's back. It's not that. It gets down there and it hurts. You're tearing a piece of my heart out here. I'm the guy that tried to help you. We're the people that tried to facilitate you. When we leave here, all you say is hateful words and gossip and backbiting. Listen to me. You're killing us here. And it's not just words. You're taking pieces of your spouse's life out with your words. Jesus is very well aware of this. We learn until the, the, the day of Pentecost that his brothers didn't believe him and his brothers wanted him to leave. And I can prove that. I mean, how, how would you like to be the son of God living among men and, and your, even your brother says, I think you're a fake. You're an embarrassment to us. I wish you were dead. I think we have to be very careful when I say we. I'm talking about me. We have to be very careful with our wording because our words can wound. And it can start at a young age. You're stupid. I hate you. You were an accident. I wish I never met you. I wish you were never born. Can you imagine what that does to little kids? My wife will tell you, after 20-something years at this daycare, a teacher can sit down in a chair and them kids will line up around the block just to get a hug and a kind word. When I was cooking over, I'd call them all knuckleheads. Hey, Papa Jody, you're a knucklehead. You know, we had a great time together. But you know, they knew I loved them. Wordings among the body of Christ. Jesus experienced such, such of an intensity of not only physical wounds, Physical wounds. But wounds that left leave a mark. And, and all you have to do is just look around. There's people sitting beside you. They got marks all over them. You're not paying attention. You know why? Because you're too busy looking in the mirror. Am I at the right church? I guess I am. We're so worried about looking at how good we look. And, we, and, we, and people all around us that are wounded. They've been, they've been hurt. They, there's, there's scars everywhere. 
Isn't that kind of what Jesus said? I've come to heal the brokenhearted. So in John 21, the reason why this is so important because of his wounds physically, and somebody may say, well, I've never been wounded when I got to church. Nobody ever flogged me. Well, maybe next Sunday we'll start, but I've never been physically flogged, but you might have been brutally wounded by words. Maybe a preacher wounded you. Maybe a church board member cussed you out. Not here. Maybe somebody, maybe says somebody said some things and done some things that took a piece of your heart out and you never got it back. Maybe the piece that's missing in your heart is trust. You never got it back. And, and I'm asking you, what happened to your joy? What happened to your trust? Well, you don't know where I've been. Well, tell me, educate me. Well, I put my trust in this person and, and he told me that I couldn't do this and, I, and, I, and, 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 and they wounded me. They hurt me bad. I'm not talking about correction. I'll correct you, but I'm not going to wound you. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't, you can't live like hell and, and come stand on this stage and preach the gospel. You're not going to do that. I'm not going to go home with you. You can do what you want to, but when it comes to be people of God, we've got to be accountable for what our actions are. Absolutely. So what happens is this has everything to do with Christ can identify with what we're going through. He's, he's been wounded. Pieces of him physically have been taken out and pieces emotionally and mentally has been extracted as well. Really. So in John 21, you kind of get this, you get this on the eighth day. You've heard me talk about this, but you get on the eighth day. On the first day of the week, on the first day of the week that, that he appears, he appears to the two women in the garden, the three women. Then that afternoon, he appears to the road to Emmaus, to his uncle and aunt, to Emmaus. And then he goes back that evening to the what we refer to is the upper room or the lower room where they're hiding out. There's 10 of them. Thomas is not there and Judas is not there. Seven days later, he goes back to the same place where the disciples are because they're hiding out. They're scared. And now Thomas is there. Thomas Didymus. The word Didymus, if you don't know, that means a twin. He had a twin. And uh, so, so now then, this is the part where he tells Thomas, he said, uh, Stick your hand, your finger into in the holes in, in my side. I'm going to let you touch me. And then Thomas says, you know, the, the doubting Thomas. I like Thomas because, you know what? He's not going to believe every spiritual salesman that comes by. I like him. They call him doubting Thomas. I'd really rather really be sure in our, in our calling and what we know for sure. And I'm going to tell you right now, I know what I believe. The problem is I don't know about half you really know what you believe. Not you, the people that used to come here. Because they'll buy into some other salesmanship. So on the eighth day, he goes back to here, and this is what happens. On the eighth day, that Jesus walks, they got the doors locked, of course. It's called Theron. They got it bolted and locked because they're scared to death. And when he walks through the door, they've got it bolted. Nobody's getting in and nobody's getting out because they're fearful of their life. And the Bible says kind of Jesus walks in. This is kind of what he does. He takes off his robe. I can't take this off because I got a microphone attached to me. And he's got a tunic around him. And now then they can see 468 brutal gashes. 
and they are petrified what they're seeing. And he said, look here, you see this one? That one hurt. That one went so deep that it took a piece of my lung out. You see that one? That one stung. You see this one? That one took up all the way to the cheek. He looked like a road map of Houston, Texas. I'm trying to get you to think this morning than just a spirit or an ore of something that's bright and shiny to come in to speak to these men. Jesus began to disrobe. He began to identify. He said, I feel what you're feeling. I want you to see where I've been. I want you to be eyewitnesses of what I experienced through a scourger's whip. It's affected me mentally. It's affected me. I mean, I don't know about you. Has anybody grown up ever got a spanking you probably didn't deserve? That Don Dixon, do not raise your hand on that one. You deserve everyone you got. But maybe your father or your mother punished you and whipped you, and you're still carrying that around. Maybe they slapped you in the back seat of the car. Maybe your father hits you with a closed fist and maybe he hits you with an open hand when you were seven and, and you never got over it. Jesus knows. So when he begins to take off his robe and, and, and we focus in on, on his side and his hand, but I will tell you, he allows these men to see his whole body that has been in shrapnel to bone and metal. And they begin to see fully, the full extent of what a scourger's whip can do. And the reason why that he does this because of this. He said, I want you to know and I want you to see what I've experienced and where I've been. But I want you to understand past the resurrection in the fullness of life, this is what you can become. So when I understood that a long time ago, it, it, it made sense to everything about the woundings of God. It identifies the feelings. Matter of fact, that he identified to their feelings. He identified to their hurts. Because matter of fact, if that wasn't the truth, then they could basically say, well, you don't know what we're feeling. He said, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And some of you today that's been abandoned and lied to and falsely accused, you may say, well, God, you, you really don't know what I'm feeling. He does. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to have a miscarriage of justice in Pontius Pilate's courtyard. He knows all about it. He knows what it's like to be condemned, to be innocent. He knows. And he took the, weeping, the, the whipping and the beating and the scourging, and he let these men truly see in a split second, if you would, the brutal force of scourging. And he's he just let them know, I know what you're feeling. My mom, before she passed away several years ago, she had a major surgery, and it really was bad. They was going to cut her foot off, and I told the doctor, don't cut her foot off. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. She'll die if you cut her foot off, so just duct tape it, do what you need to do. And she had some other surgeries, and she was in the nursing home. 
And she was getting over that surgery pretty good. And then, and, and so I was kind of the caretaker, Gail and I was. So the, I'm not going to mention the nursing home because I'm, I'm not speaking against nursing home. I'm just telling you that the day nurse was the original uh, nurse ratchet, you know, one of Flew's Cuckoo's Nest. Boy, I mean, she was by the book. You know, her name was Helda Vong Snortalot or something. Boy, I mean, she was hateful. I liked her too. I liked to argue with her. Boy, and I'd go down there like a rat on a Cheeto. I was on her, boy. But the night nurse, my mother said she was the most wonderful person she'd ever met. Well, I'm not there at night. I wasn't there at night. But my mother said, that woman's hateful. So I'd go down and talk to her about it every day. Say, listen, you better straighten up what you better do. And, but the night nurse was wonderful. So one day, the Miss Ratchet, that wasn't her name, but you know, she was, she was on vacation. So the night nurse took her place. So I got to meet her for the first time. She was a very kind, very nice. And I said, um, thank you for being nice to my mother. She said, she said, listen, my mother had that same surgery about six months ago. And I know how much it hurts. See, when you know what somebody else is feeling, your sympathy will kick in. And this morning when I'm here to tell you Jesus knows what you're feeling, that's why he'll handle you with great care and love. He won't say things like, I'll oh, just suck it up and get over it. He said, I know. I know what it's like to be lied about. I know what it's like to be wounded. I know, I know. I know what it's like to have pieces of your innermost being torn out. I know. And so he became wounded. He experienced the hurt and the pain and the affliction so that you and I could identify with him. So several years ago, we're going to close with, with this and we'll pick it up next week. The Bible story in the book of Numbers chapter 21 says something like this. Well, this is what it says. They have left Egypt. God has provided quail and manna for them daily. They haven't, they've got water coming out of a rock. I'm not telling you they, they're living it in a life of prosperity, but God provided for them every step of the way. And like them, this is our great, great ancestors because it is amazing that no matter what God gives us, we always want to complain. You might want to punch somebody and tell somebody, wake up, because they didn't hear me. They always want to complain. God has provided for us. God has blessed us. God has, has given to us. And all we really want to do is complain. So the people spake against God and against Moses. And you have brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness. Oh, yeah, they had it good in Egypt, didn't they? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it, it was the life of the rich Carlton, you know. They got beaten every day, starved, brutally wounded. Said, anyway, you brought us out of the wilderness to die, for there is no bread, which is a lie, and neither is any water, which is a lie. And our soul loathed it because of this light bread. I th he said that we're sick of this light bread. I thought they didn't have any bread. It's like our kids. You take them to Walmart and you say no for the first time ever. And they go, you never buy me anything. And you can't even get in their closet or their room for the stuff. You know, you know those kids. And they go, we don't have nothing. We don't have any bread. And besides, we're sick of this bread. Well, I thought you said we didn't have any bread. So which is it? Liar, liar, pants on fire. We know what's going on here. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and, and a lot of the people of Israel, they died. Here, here, here's a revelation. Now watch this. Don't become complainers. Please. You may, you, we may not make as much money as Virgil Gaither, but who does? I mean, really, who does? But I'm not going to get in that compare, compete, and complain business. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. So he sent fiery serpents to bite the people. And a lot of them died. I watch it. I watch things all the time on, the, on YouTube about nature. And I watched the black mama bite a lion the other day. I watched a cobra bite a lion. And that was, it was a brutal death. It's brutal. Just that line convulsing and shaking is brutal. If we're not careful that that our complaining of what God has provided for us, that our spiritual death may not be instantaneously, sometimes that we, it affects us and poisons us. But besides that, we're not going to be complainers. But verse eight says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fire serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. The Hebrew word for looketh is where we're going to close this morning. The word looketh in the Hebrew means to view with intent and intelligence. So this is what we have here. We have a, a wad of snakes that are very fiery and poisonous and they're biting people and these people are dying because of the rebellion and, and, and they're complaining against God. But the scripture says that they were to make a brazen serpent. The word brass in the Old Testament always refers to judgment. Gold is deity, silver is redemption, brass is judgment. It was the judgment of God against them. The outer course was made of brass. The inner course was made of gold. So the brass represents the judgment of God against his people. But he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a serpent and I want you to. And the, I, mean, I mean, these people are dying. I mean, these people are being bitten. There's snakes everywhere. I mean, everywhere. By the, by the thousands, they're everywhere. Can you imagine? Moses saying, just keep calm, and if they bite you, it'll be all right. There's no calmness here. It's kind of like when we had one mouse in the house. I mean, it's not a big deal. But when your wife finds out it's in a big deal, it's a big deal. That little mouse turns out to be something about the size of a pit bull. I mean, there's, there's chaos. There's people dying. There's, there's, there's all this confusion that's going on, and and so God gives the instruction. He said, you take a brazen serpent, you take a serpent out of brass, put a light unto it where it can be seen. And if the people will look upon this thing and not just look at it, but the Hebrew says to view it with intent and intelligence. What I'm trying to get you to do here this morning, I really don't, I'm glad you're here, but I have failed you as a pastor if, if you're not really looking what this thing is all about. Just coming in the doors is not what this thing is about. Broad is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. How narrow is the gate? It's as wide as your Bible. Straight is the way. So it's possible and it's probable 
that you can come in here and you can be a part of what's going on and never really understand what we're doing here. So this is the idea, the word, the, the word look at. Now, this is going to take, for you that are visiting here this morning, this will take 15 seconds. So don't panic. We're, we're not going to do anything dumb. I'm not. Now, if you're a little leery, we're going to turn out a few lies. Hang on to your purse and put your hand on your billfold. It's okay. <laughs> but when God gives it instructions to look upon it, the Hebrew says to look upon it with intent and intelligence. So what they've done is they've taken a pole and they have taken a, a serpent. Somebody has there, one of the silversmiths, the blacksmiths, and they have made it out of brass and they lifted it up and they put a, a light underneath it that that thing is glowing. And you've got, you've got this confusion and this anarchy and complainings and people are dying and people are throwing up and, and you got all this everywhere while this is going on. Fifteen seconds. It's amazing what happens sometimes when everything in your life is going right. It's amazing that how we just come in the door and, and, and our money's good and everything's good. And, but what happens when everything God begins to turn out the lights in your life? You become critical, you become mean, you become hateful. You become disconnected and discontented and now then, and now then no longer are we walking in the light of God. Now then that we find our place in a place of emptiness and hollowness and darkness. And even when we come to church and God seems to turn the lights out, you've got confusion. You're being bitten by serpents and snakes of, of hatefulness and all these things. And you find yourself going home to an empty house are you going find yourself going home to a full house, but it's still darkness? Nothing is making sense. You're singing songs and you don't mean it. You're teaching lessons and it doesn't sink in. You're reading the Bible, but it's, it's, it's the heavens are as brass. Nothing is working in your life. And you find yourself in a very dark, dark place. And the scripture says, As Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whosoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. The church has been bitten by serpents of greed, of envy, of competition, of gimmicks, and games. If you're not careful this morning, you'll find yourself being bitten by serpents of unbelief, disbelief, discontentness, rebellion, and God begins to turn off all the lights that seem to be working in your life until you find yourself in a place of darkness until 
The only light that really matters in our Christian walk is that one. And the world that we're living in now, that the churches have never been more full, but the church has never been so hollow because they forgot what this thing is about. It's about Jesus. God's son that was brutally wounded. And God him set him upon a post and placed him on a cross and that we can look at this cross this morning with intent and intelligence that Jesus gave his life that we could have eternal life. That's what this church is all about. It's not about prosperity. It's not about getting rich. It's not about making you happy. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and those that looked upon it with intent and intelligence, they lived. I think it's time for you and I to go back and repay a visit to John 3 and remember what this church is all about. It is the sonship of Jesus Christ, God's son. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. With every head bowed, please, and every eye closed, just for a moment, are you lost? Have you got misdirected? Are you confused? Are you hateful? Are you discontented? Are you dissatisfied? And you find yourself that God is turning off the lights in your life, nothing seems to work, nothing seems to be panning out. Relationships wind up in to one side or the other. And, but you find yourself all alone until God, as of this morning, he just turns the light back on to the only thing that is really has matter and worth. It's the cross. Father, forgive us this morning with an honest heart. Just forgive us if, if we bought into the pyramid scheme of, of religion that's how we can grow and prosper and get healthy and wealthy and we repent this morning. All we really need to do is to look intently and intelligently of what your son Jesus did upon the cross. Our sins were too great for us to forgive. Our iniquities was too great for us to recover. We were dead in trespasses and sin, but through your grace, you have forgiven us. Father, be anybody in this place this morning that has never ever made a personal commitment to you, let this be the day and let this be the hour that they would look upon you with intent and intelligence. Christ himself gave his life, was wounded, that we could have eternal life. But Father, also for anyone in this place that has forgotten what this thing is all about. We've been bitten by the, the serpents of unbelief and discord and 
Help us this morning to go back to what is that honors you. We ask you to heal our minds and heal our bodies that we may glorify you in a greater way, Jesus. And we give thanks for that this morning. And all the people of God say amen. If Jesus is Lord of your life, give the Lord a praise offering. Stand to your feet, would you please? Huh? I have to go back every once in a while and view what this thing is about. Aren't you glad that he sent his son that we could have eternal life? Oh, man. Communion service, if you'll make your way to the front, please. I would rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I would rather have him than riches untold. We've been contaminated. You talk about COVID. The church has been contaminated with a prosperity message that's really killing us. The name it and claim it, the blab it and grab it, it's really a deadly virus. God knows what you need. God will provide your needs. God will give you daily bread. The Bible says that he made you. He knows you're from dust. He knows what you're made of and he knows what we need. And I just choose to spend the rest of my life in honoring him and trusting him. He was wounded for us. For every one of you this morning with every head bowed, for every one of you that's been wounded as a child, maybe some of you girls was molested as a teenager, you still carry the marks. Maybe something happened to you that your father abused you. Maybe an ex-spouse did something to you that took a piece out of you when they walked out the door and the door slammed. You've never been the same, I understand. Jesus understands. Maybe you had to go to the cemetery way too early in life and bury someone that was the love of your life and not only were they buried, but a piece of you went with them. He understands. We all have stripes, we all have hurts, we all have wounds, we all have gashes, we all have rips and pieces that are missing in our life from the day we're born, but I want you to know we're not in it alone, He knows. And if we'll take the time to look back at Him with intent and intelligence, He will help heal our minds and our bodies. So that night He took the he took his disciples and he took the cup and the bread and he, he took the bread and he said, this bread is my body that is broken for you. His body was broken, but it was not broken down. It was broken open. And when his body was broken open, what come out on the cross? Father, forgive them. 
He took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood that will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins as it was in the first Passover. He was identifying that night with the brokenness of humanity and the need of humanity for redemption. And that's why we celebrate Holy Communion every week. Father, for all that's been hurt, for all that's been wounded by physical man or their words, we come to your son Jesus by the Holy Spirit once again and we ask you to do what only you can do. Would you heal us and heal our minds and heal our hearts that we may carry on the legacy of people of God and help us to continue to look at Jesus and all the people of God say amen.